For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We got our guy Isaac Feldman here who used to work with us. He yeah. works at the Sports Network. He fought last week and won. Winner by knockout from Long Island, New York, Isaac Feldman. Here's the problem with that. Now with the proliferation of MMA. Yes. You ain't got anybody. You have no idea. Because that dude, Isaac, who's a great kid, yeah. you'd look at him and go, I'll probably have this guy. I can handle this guy. He'd kill Meanwhile, you in 30 what? seconds. What? Right. Hiya! And they're like, I had the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Ike to Go. What's up, everybody? Ike Feldman here from the Octagon. Of course, you know me from the Octagon. I've done many episodes, podcasting, video podcast, but we got some huge and amazing news. We were picked up by the great and powerful, the wonderful, forward-thinking podcast network, the Believe podcast network it's the number one podcast network out in la it's fantastic they're forward thinking i'm forward thinking we're both forward thinking so let's not move why not move forward together let's not waste any time move forward well thank you guys for picking me up and agreeing that the Ectagon is a fantastic and amazing product and why not bolster the views and subscriptions of your own podcast network by bringing in MMA commentator, MMA expert, and the savvy Ike Feldman. That's me. I'm done. No more third person. Okay. Well, the show is going to be different than former Ectagon episodes. I will be bringing in in a lot more guests, a lot more friends, colleagues, fighters, personalities. I will do it all. And from the this episode or this period of time in time, time is ever evolving and always folding. Matthew McConaughey and Interstellar. We're gonna do a lot more than what I was previously doing on Actagon. So I mean films fights, entertainment, other sports, friends, colleagues, guests. So what I was trying to get at, I'm just so excited. Let me drink some more coffee. It'll probably calm me down. I got to do that for the audio listeners. Lean into the mic, give them what they want. Me slurping coffee into their eardrums. But this version of the Ictagon, and remember, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go to the website, Ictagon.com. Everything, Ictagon, I-K-E, I-K-E, I-K-E-T-A-G-O-N. It's blowing up. If you're not subscribing, you're missing out because this will be the best version. Audio drops, video drops radio podcast beefs that you guys haven't seen or heard about because apparently some people in the MMA word uh, world do not like my words because the truth hurts and I will explain more about that moving forward. But the Ictagon is here to stay and Believe Podcast Network is here to stay so we are teamed up and during this period in time and for this podcast until whenever, next week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks. Ooh, imagine something goes eight weeks. Uh, I'll have a conniption. If it goes eight weeks, that'd be a long time. But the Believe Podcast Network and I, Ike Feldman, we are efforting to find me a fantastic co-host. 
the plan is to make it a UFC fighter currently on the roster who's media savvy, who's smart on the mic, who enjoys long, drawn out, not boring, but long, drawn out conversations fixated around the fight world, sprinkled in with some entertainment and stories and the in the know type of stuff. So there will be a co-host. It won't just be me screaming at you and playing audio clips, but there will be a co-host, preferably a fighter. If it's just a personality, I guess I could deal with it, but you guys got to deal with me for now. So that's the news. That's the update. That's the story. Everything that you hear and see will be coming from the mind of Ike. And eventually when there is a co-host on this, I guess I will hand over some of the reins of the decision-making business, creativity, and whatnot, I guess. But you better be creative and uh, business savvy because then I won't listen much ever at all. I will listen some, of course, of course. But he'll have to, uh, if he taps me out five times in five minutes, then he'll get a lot more control. Or she. They'll get a lot more control over this podcast. But they have to be able to tap me out, okay? I'm a 160-pound blue belt, about to be a purple belt. I'm in good shape. I got good balance. I can break dance a little. But if they can't tap me out five times in five minutes, then... And I, I, I won't hold. I won't hold the position. I, I like action and flowing when I roll. So if they can submit me five times in five minutes, I will give them full control of the Yiktagon content, views, opinion, direction. I promise. So UFC 249 happened. Thank goodness. I did not believe it would happen. I needed to see the first fight, which was Ryan Spann versus Sam Alvey. I needed to see some leather being thrown, some grappling being incorporated, a referee, Bruce Buffer, the announcers, everything in place. And it did happen. Oh, my goodness. And it was an amazing card. It was missing the fans. And I disagree with Ariel Hawani on that. We'll get to that and more. But what an amazing event. It came together. Jacare Souza, Hinaldo Souza, tested positive. Not for steroids, which I wonder what would have made more headlines if he tested positive for steroids, which he didn't, but he tested positive for COVID-19, which he did. And that made a ton of headlines. It actually made so many headlines that CBS Sports Radio asked me to come on for a national radio spot to talk about the situation. And I had a simple answer. What does this affect? And I go, the money, nothing. The money will continue to roll on. The UFC will do everything in their power even more extensively to make sure the event goes forward. Jacare tested positive for COVID-19. Remember, he's a former strike force belt contender against Luke Rockhold, Gegard Mousasi. He has fought the who's who in strike force and UFC. He's a formidable middleweight and sometimes light heavyweight. Jacare is a legend inside of mixed martial arts and one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners of all time and arguably the best jiu-jitsu practitioner in mixed martial arts history so he's respectable i'm sure he's frustrated that he tested positive for covid19 and his fight didn't come to fruition against queen's native uriah hall but the fight will be rescheduled something will happen somebody will get paid and compensated it's unfortunate that he couldn't fight but what was fortunate is that dana white pushed through and got us back to some type of normalcy, which was UFC 249 and a fight event, essentially. This fight event was supposed to take place April 18th inside the Barclays Center. It was going to be one of the biggest pay-per-views, one of the biggest mixed martial arts events in MMA history. Khabib Nurmagomedov, undefeated in the UFC, undefeated overall, was taken on... Tony Ferguson, undefeated in the last eight years. His last loss was to Michael Johnson, I believe, in the Ultimate Fighter finale. And since then, he's been on a tear at 170 and 155. And one thing I do have to give Errol Hwani credit for was he was concerned about Tony Ferguson making weight on April 17th, which was the original 
date that Tony Ferguson had to weigh in for the UFC 249 card in Brooklyn, New York. We all know what happened and the pandemic happened and life got paused. Tony Ferguson being the insane savage warrior that steps into a cage for a day job, he decided to make weight with, there was no reason for him to make weight and even post it on social media, even if he was down to 158 pounds, which is three pounds off the limit, he didn't have to post it. He probably still would have. But he posted that he made the weight April 17th, the day before the original scheduled fight. Aaron Hawani was saying he doesn't believe it's smart, doesn't see the, the pro of making the weight and draining your body and sacrificing some time and efforts into something that may not matter. Daniel Cormier, his co-host, kind of believed the that it's it's just Tony being Tony. In my opinion, to elaborate on what Tony being Tony means is it's mental warfare. And if Tony Ferguson's opponent, Justin Gaethje, his new opponent, Justin Gaethje, saw this weight cut on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and saw that Tony made weight, maybe it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's a savage. This guy's got so much extra mentally and physically in the tank that he can sacrifice a whole nother weight cut just to make a point. And it turned out Gaethje was not impressed. And it turns out Ara Hawani was probably onto something that Tony Ferguson sacrificed something when he made weight about three weeks before he was actually supposed to fight. So he made weight twice, the 155-pound limit, twice within three weeks. And for those of you that don't know, he walks around north of 185 pounds, probably closer to 195 pounds, which is 30 to 40 pounds above the weight that he cuts down to. Now, I'm not saying in between the two weight cuts, the three-week separation that he was 155 and then he bounced all the way up to 190 and then he cut all the way back down to 155 and then bounced back up to 190 for fight night. No. Daniel Cormier was also saying this, and this is courtesy of ESPN MMA, the Ariel Hawani MMA show. It's now dubbed the Ariel and DC show or whatever. I hope it sticks. It's fantastic product. And I love uh, picking audio pieces from it because uh, Ariel hasn't had a, co-host Chael Sonnen is but they kind of just scream at each other for 25 minutes DC and Ariel they have a lot more respect and they're a lot more cordial about their conversation it's perfect I'm sure the respect's there with Chael Sonnen and Ariel Hawani but it's not made for radio DC and Hawani are made for radio and they've spoken on ESPN radio so they know what they're doing over there but Daniel Cormier was ready for Tony Ferguson to show up on fight night and be Tony Ferguson. But there was something missing in there and it showed uh, his body looked bad. It looked drained. It looked emaciated. Tony Ferguson was not being Tony Ferguson. He was a depreciated form of Tony Ferguson And what I was alluding to about a minute ago, Ferguson, in between the weight cut, I'm sure did not bounce back up to north of 180 pounds. DC was also saying this on a show with Hawani, that he probably floated back up 15 to 20 pounds in the 170s. And he was reasserting to Hawani that wrestlers do this all the time. They have to make weight every week, and it's never an off week when you're in a wrestling season for college or for high school and that this was just another walk in the park for Ferguson. It was not. And Ferguson looked bad when you cut that much weight. And I haven't cut more than 15 pounds, but when you're cutting down from 20, 25, 30 pounds, it can take a toll on you. And if you're not fighting the next day, when you're probably still in the clear in terms of catching something, whether it's mono or the flu, you can still perform pretty well. The bad thing about Ferguson is that he had three weeks. And what happened in that three weeks? We've heard this number about nine days, 12 days, 14 days, 37 days in some cases about COVID-19, the coronavirus living in your system. 
was that lingering in Tony's system because his immune system was depleted and the door was wide open for a virus to creep right into Tony Ferguson's system and affect his performance, which it could have. We won't find out about any of this until he does an interview. So I expect Ariel Hawani to get Tony Ferguson on the line once he recovers and find out exactly what happened because Tony Ferguson was not Tony Ferguson in that fight this past Saturday. So we will find out more, but hats off to Ariel Hawani for saying maybe cutting weight was not the best idea three weeks before you had to. And I was so ready to say, Ariel, you're wrong. Suck it. Eat you're, you're wrong, buddy. You really screwed up. You don't know what you're talking about, but Ferguson did look awful, and it was probably connected or correlated to the weight cut three weeks earlier. So moving on. That's just neither here nor there. We'll find out more about it, I'm sure, as the weeks unfold. What we do know is Henry Cejudo is retiring. Huh? This dude just goes out there, stops the former bantamweight king in Dominic Cruz inside of two rounds, does it by similar fashion, a stunning leap in strike, a similar fashion that he did to TJ Dillashaw. He leaped in for a strike, and then he just closed the door with a cross-hip hold, not a gift wrap, but it was initially a gift wrap against Cruz, but the similarities between the TJ Dillashaw and Cruz fight was hugging the cross-hip, and then just hammer fist and hammer fist and hammer fist and TJ and Dominic until the refs stepped in there. And again, very, very similar controversy from the TJ Dillashaw fight back in January 2019 to the fight this past weekend at UFC 249 against Dominic Cruz. I agree with the stoppage. I 100% agree with the stoppage. It was about 11 to 13 unanswered strikes. And Dominic Cruz was making his way north, back to his feet. That was his argument. But 11 strikes, you lost the round 100%. You were losing the fight. How much more damage did you want to take? In those two seconds, Henry Cejudo could have probably thrown at least three more strikes. So now you're talking 13 to 16 unanswered strikes. And yes, he'd be saved by the bell. And yes, it could have been an epic comeback by Dominic Cruz in the third round and maybe an epic victory. But Henry Cejudo would have also recovered. And I think Henry Cejudo is a different cat. I don't think he mentally lets down in between the second and third round and comes out there lackluster because he thinks he has a lead and he starts to kind of just sit back on his laurels. How many times have we seen Henry Cejudo face adversity? I put a tweet out there and just bounce back strongly, whether it's outside or inside the cage. We heard about how broke he was while he was wrestling. We heard about the California fires when he had to jump out of his window. He just fought and beat a steroid user in TJ Dillashaw. He butted heads with Dominic Cruz right before the stoppage. Blood pouring down his face. He still comes out there and stopped Dominic Cruz 20 seconds after that. This cat was not going to be shaken by a fight going back to the corner and he thinks he wins and he's going to let his guard down. Not at all. I think he figured out the game plan of Dominic Cruz. We saw Cody Garbrandt's boxing and his bobbing and weaving. He caught Dominic Cruz and figured out the, the, the drunken monkey type of uh, fighting style. Henry Cejudo figured out by just chopping the legs. The legs will always be there on the same plane, so he decided to just chop that same plane and catch uh, Dominic Cruz's legs and Cruz actually admitted in an interview with Hawani that he was sore not mentally not his brain I'm sure it was but he wouldn't admit that but his legs and that it would take about a week to be fully recovered so Henry Cejudo had the path to victory already and he just capitalized on a 10 second flurry of strikes and Dominic Cruz is saying that Henry Cejudo capitalized on a drunk and cigarette-smoking referee in Keith Peterson. And that's very unfair to Keith Peterson because he has a respectable 
career and body of work and John Anik, who calls the fights with Daniel Cormier and Joe Rogan, he defended Keith Peterson and Dominic Cruz went extensively in the behind the scenes look at the locker room between the fighter and the referee, what is being seen and what's being told, what's being reiterated over and over. And Dominic Cruz was saying that he could tell that Keith Peterson was off and that maybe he smelt of cigarettes and alcohol. And that is a huge accusation. And you better be right. You better have some background about or knowledge about this accusation because you are putting a man's reputation on the line uh, in the media law book. They would call this libel and uh, character assassination. I mean, it doesn't look good the fact that you were stopped and that you lost and maybe you're just pulling on to threads to try to make a point or you're a little bit of a sore, sore loser. A lot of people commended Dominic Cruz for how he handled his loss against Cody Garbrandt back in December of 2016 UFC 207 for taking it on the chin and being a man and addressing it, not running away like a Ronda Rousey from the media and facing the media. And this is not a good look but you better have cold, hard facts if you're accusing of a res uh, respectable referee in Keith Peterson of being drunk the night before and smelling like cigarettes. So slippery slope for Dominic Cruz, but for Henry Cejudo, he retires in front of, in front of no fans. It's like, wow, you know, if he, if this was on his mind, you would have thought he would have waited for crowds to come back, but no, he's the co-main event of UFC 249. The money was good enough and the opportunity was perfect and the timing was there that he felt it was just proper to retire uh, at this moment in time. And uh, outside of the triple C, the triple cringe, the king cringe, captain cringe, whatever people who don't like Henry Cejudo's social media prowess want to call him, forget about it. It's over and done with. Let's move on. Let's respect and appreciate the champion that he is. He's not only a two-time Olympic gold medalist, but he came back from adversity after he lost from Mighty Mouse, uh, what was it, Demetrius Johnson, maybe four or five years ago. He came back, and since UFC 227, he beat DJ Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson. He then beat TJ Dillashaw, he then moved up in weight and became a two-division simultaneous champion when he beat Marlon Moraes. And now he beats the bantamweight king in Dominic Cruz. He may come back in the future if Aldo is at the top or if TJ Dillashaw wants a rematch or if Dominic Cruz crawls up again or if Alexander Volkanovsky or another featherweight is presentable to Henry Cejudo or he may even box. Whenever he wants to do, Henry Cejudo has options. And that's, it's, it's just amazing to see a, a great guy outside of his social media antics to get the do. And I hope he gets the praise. And I hope this cloud of Dominic Cruz being a sore loser just disappears because we should be commending the winner and not giving the sore loser their attention. So hats off to Henry Cejudo. Good job to you, brother. In the main event, Justin freaking Gaethje keeps his patience and gets it done. Beats an all-time great in Tony Ferguson. Holy crap, Justin Gaethje has now won four in a row. He's an interim UFC lightweight champion. He threw away the belt. I know that was maybe in the moment the adrenaline was going, but a day or two after, he's seen wearing the belt. So he does... Appreciate he is showing gratitude by wearing the belt, and uh, he's, I'm sure, thrilled and stunned about his accomplishment on Saturday night. So, good job to you, Justin Gaethje. That's uh, it's pretty amazing, brother. And he, if you don't know, he comes from the same team as Rose Namajunas and Pat Barry and JJ Aldridge out in Denver, Colorado, and they are coordinated or coached or mentored by the great Trevor Whitman. Trevor Whitman, who not only is a fantastic coach, but he does commentary in between rounds for ESPN MMA. And Trevor is a 
fantastic guy. From everything I've seen from the Ultimate Fighter 10 with Rashad Evans. Yeah, if you don't remember, uh, Trevor Whitman is under uh, worked with Rashad Evans, and Rashad Evans is a former UFC champion. Trevor's a different style of thinker and fight coach. He isn't the rah-rah guy, but he will tell you exactly what you need to hear when you need to hear it. And the best and most recent example of this was when Justin Justin Gaethje was up on the scorecards. He was tagging Tony Ferguson. He felt everything Tony Ferguson had. He saw the dance moves and the smoke and mirrors that Tony Ferguson can present with some rolls, some funky switching of stances, some quirky punches and elbows and kicks and teep kicks and movement. And the way he does his footwork and circles, Justin Gaethje stuck to the game plan, chopped down Tony Ferguson with some leg kicks, but the main weapons was his hook and his left and right hook, the looping overhand, the left hook. The coolest part of not having any fan noise was to hear the ferocity and the power of Justin Gaethje, uh, Gaethje's punches and you could hear it when he exhaled, and it was just a whoosh and a miss. And it was pretty amazing to see Tony Ferguson took a ton of damage, and he just didn't seem right from the start. He landed a couple of jabs, a couple of kicks, and that was really it. It was really Justin's game plan, and he missed the crowd in this fight. <laughs> so Hudo needed some fans. It would have been amazing to see him retire in front of a huge crowd and get the applause. And Maybe some tears would have come out. Maybe the fans would have brought that out of Cejudo. Gaethje, on the other hand, it would have been the oohs and the ahs. No boos, but the oohs and the ahs with every wing and miss and every punch that connected against Tony Ferguson. It was just incredible. And then when you hear this advice from Trevor Whitman, it just cements home the journey these two have been to to bring another belt to their gym. Rose Namajunas brought couple of belts with, against uh, Yohan and Jin, Young Jacek to their gym out in Denver. And now Gagey brings a belt. And what's next? What's next? We'll get into that on the next episode. I don't want to take anything away from Gagey, but Connor, Khabib, what's going on? Who's hanging out there? We'll definitely talk about that more on the, uh, the next Iktagon episode, again, presented by the Believe Podcast Network, but we'll talk about that more on the next episode, I promise, about the drama and the gossip. But moving down the card, Francis Ngannou is not scared of any man that steps in there to face him. He may be scared of Dana White and respects Dana White, but he is not scared of any other man that he has to face or square up with. And Jarzinho Rosenstruck was the next victim a 20-second victim from Ngannou. I believe over his last four fights, the total fight time combined has been under three minutes. I believe it's like something like two minutes and 41 seconds. I tried to do the math. I was so excited on Saturday to get the tweet out, but I don't know if the math is correct. If it is, it's remarkable. Two minutes and 40 seconds. Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez, what was it? Curtis Blades. And now Jarzinho Rosenstruck, amazing. Francis Ngannou should be fighting for the UFC heavyweight title in his next fight, no doubt. DC and Stipe need to finish their business and get it over with already. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it like it's not important. Believe me, I would love to uh, see that fight now. Prime now! Prime now! Uh, I would love to see that fight and uh, it's going to be exciting whenever it does happen. So Ngannou, holy goodness. And imagine if there was a crowd there. Woof, woof, woof. Those looping, leading hooks were just incredible. And uh, wow, devastating. And Jorginho, he needs to bounce back in a big way. He needs to take a lot of time off. I do not want to see him come back before December November at the earliest, but he needs to take some time and uh, collect himself because Ngano. Hold on, I want to get this correct. They say that his punching power is equal to that of a Prius driving at 40 miles an hour. And I found this out when they were hyping the fight at UFC 220 against Stipe Miocic. 
it's like, okay, you know, I, I, it hits as hard as a car. No, that, are you kidding me? If you're standing still in the middle of a road and a 40 mile an hour, a little Prius, I don't care if it's the size of a skateboard, hits you in the knee or hits you in the hip or hits you in the ribs, that's breaking your ribs. So Francis Ngannou could break your ribs, probably go through your body. Like uh, I always said, Henry Cejudo was kicking along the same plane as uh, Dominic Cruz, like those leg kicks, the same plane. If Francis Ngannou punched you in the ribs from one ribs, I think it's going through to the other side of your rib cage. So sorry for the, the brutal description, but uh, Francis Ngannou, whew. And that was an amazing knockout. But in my opinion, I am, oh, I say this a lot on Twitter because I want people to know it's coming from moi brain. Francis Ngannou's knockout over Jarzinho Rosenstrunk at UFC 249 was not the knockout of the night. Hello, Calvin Cater. Hello, Jeremy Stevens. Hello, Elbow. Goodbye, Elbow. Goodbye, Jeremy Stevens. Ouch, Jeremy Stevens. I'm sorry, Jeremy Stevens. Calvin, Cater, not Qatar, not Kata, as maybe some Boston people like to say in their choppy, nasally accent. I have a choppy, nasally Long Island accent, so maybe their Boston accent rubs me the wrong way, but hell of an elbow, a elbow. Oh my goodness. We've seen this from John Jones. We've seen this from Darren Till. What other elbow knockouts have there been? Uh, I'm, I'm sure another one will come to me, but oh my gosh, the elbow. At first I saw it, the way the camera captured it, it was from the over the shoulder look and it looked like a punch. It was so clean. And then when you look, you're like, wow, he really stepped in there deep for the elbow. In my opinion, I don't know who won the bonuses. I probably should do an, an MMA show, but if Cater didn't get knocked out of the night, then... I'm sorry. And Ganu, like uh, we've we've seen this before. It's two big guys throwing for two guys at 145 pounds to knock somebody out that clean, that efficiently. Give it to Cater. Come on, what are we doing? You put this kid on the pay-per-view and he delivers, okay? Give the kid the knockout of the night and give him a bigger fight. Maybe a Josh Emmett, maybe a Ryan Hall. Some people want to push him into the top five already. No, no, no. We saw him against the top five guy, and he did not win when he had his chance. Yeah, he was coming on late against Zabit Magomed Sharapov, but he did not capitalize on his opportunity. Uh, according to the guest last week, Eric Anders, he was saying that Calvin Cater agreed to a three-round fight over a five-round fight. And if that's so, well, I don't think he'll do that again because he was en route to beating or the tides were turning. He was gaining momentum in that fight, that main event fight in Russia against Zabit Magomed Sharapov. But I don't think he's ready for Zabit. I don't think he's ready for Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, obviously Alexander Volkanovsky, Yair Rodriguez. Maybe Yair, maybe that's a hell of a fight. That's a hell of a step up in competition. But Let's find out what this kid could do. I don't remember the last time he knocked somebody out. I am lying to you. It was UFC 220. I was there. It was Shane Burgos. And Shane was not as seasoned as he is now in striking. Maybe run that fight back. Maybe two guys who have evolved, uh, filling out their full game, standing and on the ground would be a great rematch. But Cater versus top five guy, top four guy, not now. Not no, and I respect him as a fighter, and he seems like a cool customer outside of the uh, cage, but I don't think he'll be calling for a top five guy. I don't think he will, but amazing knockout. Greg Hardy, what do you know? He fights, he wins, he fights, he wins. He fights, he screws up, he fights, he wins. He fights, he doesn't know the rules, he fights, he wins. Actually, he did lose to Alexander Volkov, so there is a loss in there, but Greg Hardy getting better. Day by day, week by week, month by month, fight by fight. He's getting better and he's grown. Watch him come back in about a month or so, maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks. But Hardy will be fighting before the end of July. No freaking doubt. So he got another win. Avoids controversy. That's all he needs to do. Just win and avoid controversy. And he did it. So good job. In the ESPN, free on ESPN, main event. 
Cowboy Cerrone, who the UFC knows where to put, facing former UFC lightweight and WEC lightweight champion in Showtime, Anthony Pettis. Wow. It wasn't spectacular in the sense that we got an amazing finish. It was spectacular in the sense that we saw two elite martial artists free on ESPN displaying to the world jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, Taekwondo, black belt level stuff to a free sport-hungry audience, and they delivered. It should have been a draw. That's where I'm pissed off because both put their hearts on the line. Cowboy was embarrassed by Conor McGregor in his last fight, and I disagree with Stephen A. Smith and Ariel Hawani and Daniel Cormier on that front. I'm sure you guys have heard me how pissed and how adamant I am that Cowboy didn't receive respect for stepping in there. Just because he mentally wasn't there does not mean that he gave up, folded, quit, whatever the quote is, because a lot of people are screwing this up. One thing says that Stephen A. Smith says that Cowboy didn't show up or he didn't show me anything. That's what it is, because Brendan Schaub's screwing this up too now. And it's crazy how bad people can be if they're not journalists or care about quotes or actual words how dangerous that could be to somebody's career like Cowboy. I don't care if he said two days ago he wasn't there mentally. Don't tell me that he quit. His subconscious is not willing to let him quit. Okay? He got tagged early from Conor McGregor's hip. He got tagged from Conor McGregor's elbow, uh, shoulder uh, caps that we've never seen. And then he gets tagged by kicked, and then he gets pummeled by some punches. It was a perfect, outstanding performance from Conor McGregor, a former two-division champion, a guy who boxed the greatest boxer of all time. Give Cowboy a break in that sense. Praise McGregor. Don't take down somebody's reputation or the career. So Schaub recently was kind of just siding with Stephen A. Smith and essentially Aaron Hawani and Daniel Corman. No, Rogan, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. As much as I have my things to pick at you with, Rogan. I'm still with you. It is martial artists first. And this isn't basketball, baseball, or football where it's played with a, a ball and there's a game the next day uh, in three days, in seven days. It's fighting. It's the most mentally crazy sport there is. You wait three to six to nine to 12 months till you return in the cage. And sometimes three years till you return into the cage. And it's a ton of pressure ton of mental stress and exercise and stamina required to be in there. Don't treat this like another sport, Mr. Stephen A. Smith, and essentially Aaron Hawani, and essentially Brendan Schaub. You see what the power of media and headlines and quotes can do? According to Damon Martin, I believe the quote that uh, the great Damon Martin on MMA fighting and formerly of Bloody Elbow is that Stephen A. Smith did say Cowboy gave up. He didn't give up in this fight against... Anthony Pettis, okay? We need to get that clear and get these quotes and words straight. It pisses me off when people go by misinformation and hearsay. It's the game of telephone, and Cowboy Cerrone is losing in this. Nobody's prompting him up. The, the fact that he put on a hell of a performance with no audience free on ESPN against a former UFC champion, huh? Yeah, everybody forgets to mention that. We just want to rip apart and rip down people's reputation and their names so get your facts straight people moving on should have been a draw <sighs> Bryce Mitchell hell of a grappler hell of a grappler what a what did they say a clinic he put on against Charles Rosa oh my gosh but Credit to Charles Rosa. He got out of the twister. He got out of the, the head and arm triangle several times. But Bryce Mitchell put on a Khabib-esque type of grappling clinic, and it was amazing. I can't wait to see what's next for this kid. Apparently, he's got camo shorts coming into the picture. I'm going to try to get my copy or buy a purchase uh, some shorts. How good is this kid? He's now 13-0, I believe. He's undefeated. He's a grappling prospect. We've seen Ortega, who was a grappling prospect, who was undefeated, who fought legends and then got pushed into a title fight. We saw how far he could go, and we're still waiting to see how far he can go, waiting to see where Ortega can come. But 
Bryce Mitchell now starting to get into the conversation for greatest grapplers or active grapplers in the UFC with Brian Ortega and Kron Gracie and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Oh my goodness, Bryce. Whoa, baby. Busted here, man. Good job putting on the, uh, the clinic, man, at 145 pounds and a stacked division. You know what I want to see? No, I don't want to see this because this is how you kill off two people. We asked about this with uh, Derek Lewis and uh, Francis Ngannou back at UFC 226 when it's the fast risers uh, and they're both marketable. Where do you put them? UFC put Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou together and they just canceled each other out. And it was the most boring fight in UFC history, in my opinion. And I don't want to see Bryce Mitchell against Calvin Cater because that what are we going to get? We're going to get Bryce Mitchell's mediocre striking against Calvin Cater's mediocre grappling. And it's Khabib and Connor too. And the grappler is going to win. And now Calvin's all the way back down the food chain. I hope they don't make that at 145 pounds, but man, it's 145 pounds starting to be one of the thickest divisions and most entertaining divisions. Look at boxing, Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman, Oscar De La Hoya, Floyd Mayweather, was it Miguel Cotto, Shane Mosley? You got all these fighters around 145 and 153, 155 pounds that you could uh, rearrange and have some fun with. What's next for Bryce Mitchell? He should fight. Uh, if BJ Penn was still going, that'd be the fight. <laughs> some legend to prompt him up or make him a main event or build his uh, his his name up a lot. I don't know who is a legend at 145 pounds or a big enough name to get Bryce Mitchell going. Let me uh, do some research real quick. UFC feather weight division. Let's go. There we go. For you listening on audio, my apology. Oh, yeah, Korean Zombie. I forgot all about him, guys. I forgot all about him. That's my bad. You know what? Let's find out who the real deal is. Ryan Hall versus Bryce Mitchell. Do it, UFC. Do it, Dana White. Do it, Sean Shelby. Sean Shelby. Do it, Mick Maynard. I just made it for you. You're welcome. Cutting promos left and right for you guys on this damn show. Ictagon, episode 17, in cahoots, in coordination, simulcasted on the Believe Podcast Network. So, hell of a card. Hell of a card. And I'm not going to get all to all the fights, but you guys should tune in if you haven't. I'm going to address one more fight, and that is Vincent Luque versus Nico Price. Oh, my goodness. This could have been a co-main event on a ESPN Plus card. No doubt and this fight should have got a lot more attention wow two warriors two guys that are just willing to stand in the pocket and not give up and point to the floor like a max holloway and throw down unbelievable fight i picked right so i like the results more but I like Nico Price. I really do. And how can you not like him after his up-kick knockout against uh, James Vick? What was it, October? I remember having a, a watch party because um, my, my boy was in town for a wedding. Who will be on the Octagon uh, in a day or two? You guys will get to hear about that. So, wow, hell of a fight. And you hope Nico Price builds himself up. You see that Vincent Luque learned a lot of patience from his last fight against Steven Wonderboy Thompson at UFC 244. When's the last time Vincent Luque's had a born fight? I mean, the Brian Barbarina fight put him on the radar for me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you can't lose with this guy. I would love to see Vincent. Oh yeah. And he beat up, uh, what was it? Mike Perry. I would love to see Vincent Luque versus Jeff Neal, 170 pounds. Get it done. Or if Cowboy needs a little time, if RDA, Rafael Dos Santos needs a little time, 
and they think they could get a win off a guy that they figured out his game plan but will be a hell of a fight as long as they don't underestimate Vince Luque, that's their guy. But Nico Price, back to the drawing board a little. I saw it as very easy to pick because I felt it's just going to come down to who's more patient. We obviously know they're brawlers and willing to throw down in the pocket at any time they must desire, anytime it just comes. I mean, I don't think they choose when they throw down. I think Vincent Luque did choose to hold back and not throw down. You know, they're, they're willing to throw down all the time, but can they pull it back just a little? And I think Vincent Luque did, and that patience showed with that counter left hook to the jaw of Nico Price and following it up with a bunch of punches. It was a great stoppage. Save Nico Price. He's a, he's a very entertaining, sellable fighter for the UFC, and – this proved that, that he will give you action. Win, lose, or draw, he will have action-packed fights. The biggest takeaway for this fight for me, guys, is that with no crowd noise, this was the fight that had the most connection in terms of heavy, heavy strikes. I know Justin Gaethje landed a bunch of punches, but the punches have a glove on it. This fight had the most leg kicks and check leg kicks and clicking and clacking and shin bones and jaws cracking and hearing it with no crowd. It was kind of queasy and kind of scary. And I was like, man, this sport is wild. And to credit Joe Rogan, he always makes this beautiful description about UFC and MMA. It's just Two guys throwing bones. That's it. Just clanging bones. And it was never more prevalent than in this fight with Vincent Luque and Nico Price. And it was scary. And like I said, it made me a little queasy. And it was, I was a little, un, I was queasy, a little easy. Yo, it's dreasy. I'm just kidding with y'all. But it was, it was weird. And it was surreal. And I think the crowd noise, the bed of the crowd noise and the crowd murmurs and stuff, I think that covers this up. And it was scary. I uh, I really had this thought. I was like, man, this sport is uh, it's a heck of a sport. I don't know how good it is for the body. I mean, you must prepare for battle with this sport. If you're not, if you're just trying to roll out of your bed into a cage, I think you underestimate how important it is to train and condition and not only mentally prepare, but physically prepare your shins and your wrists and your elbows and your jaw just for the beating, the sheer violence that this sport has. And uh, it was never more prevalent than in that fight. I'm telling you, just listen to the first or second round. I'm not sure it went into the third round, but just listen to the first couple of minutes of the fight and just listen to the bone cracking and the bone shattering noises. It was it was unique to say the least, but my biggest issue and the hottest take of the Octagon is Mr. Ariel Hawani. He will have a chance to defend himself and his correct himself, but he is at the point. He is very close to being a black belt. If not a second degree black belt in media and word choice, Ariel Hawani had this to say about having no fans in the stands. Can I be honest? I actually liked it better without fans. Dude, I told Joe Rogan that at the end. I was like, Joe, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I know, and I, I, and I, I don't want the fans to think I'm insulting them, but there's moments in okay. fights with big crowds that get me upset, like when the fans start booing, when there's like a minute of non-action right or when there's a close call and then the guy's on the microphone afterwards and he's being booed and he has to apologize we didn't have any of that none of that was a factor and once you're watching the fights from home you don't really notice because they do a great no. job of blacking out everything else it's all focused on the cage i did not miss them in fact i had to remind myself that there were no fans there i did not miss them one bit so hawani tries to cover his tracks up a little by saying if the fans see a born fight, maybe a grappling heavy fight, maybe then they uh, would boo and that could have happened. 
I'll make the connection. Essentially, the Bryce Mitchell fight, maybe there could have been some boon for uneducated fans, which would have been fine because the fans, the majority on the broadcast, would have heard Joe Rogan defend the action and defend the martial arts that was being displayed. But, Ariel, you're going to say that you didn't want to see a crowd there to see Francis Ngannou's knockout, to see the amazing back-and-forth battle, which eventually led to a knockout in the Vincent Luque and Nico Price fight, that you didn't want to see two amazing, elite, well-respected martial artists, maybe not for you or Stephen A. Smith, between Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Anthony Pettis thrown bones, man. You didn't want to see a crowd for that. You didn't want to see the crowd get behind Justin Gaethje with every winging, ooh, and an on, missing hook, and every hook that landed. You didn't want to see that, brother? You're wrong. And you owe the fans an apology because as the face of MMA media, it's sad when we hear stuff like this. I did not miss them. In fact, I had to remind myself that there were no fans there. I did not miss them one bit. Stop. Stop. You jumped on Stephen A's bandwagon because, I don't know, maybe he's going to come on the show again in a future podcast or something. But I can't let you say that the sport is better or the event was better. You didn't say the sport, but you did say the event and you enjoyed the 249 experience without fans. Can't let that slip away. That's a, that's a bad take by you, my friend. I respect the hell out of you and you are the, the man in MMA media and I, I, I respect the grind and your rise and your confrontation and it, your run-ins with UFC management, Dana White. And you've played it off well, and you've been a perfect example of how to conduct yourself publicly until this, until this. I think you get a co-host in Daniel Cormier, and you're feeling yourself a little too much, and maybe you have him to double down on your opinions. But, dude, to say the – what you say exactly? I did not miss them. In fact, I had to remind myself that there were no fans there. I did not miss them one bit. To say that you didn't miss the fans one bit – the fans that have prompted you up, the fans that go to your Chicago UFC 238 and your Vegas UFC 245 fan experience or shows, to say you didn't miss those people that helped prompt you up and give you all those followers and attention, it's a bad job. And that's disrespecting us, the fans, and uh, MMA media as a whole. So bad take, bad take. So... Guys, that was the Iktagon simulcasted with the Believe Podcast Network. You're welcome, okay? That's all I say. I put my heart, my effort on the line. Watch the last dance with Michael Jordan because that will teach you how to be a teammate and be a competitor. I've been a great teammate and competitor long before I've seen the last dance, but for all you out there that think you know what you're doing on a team, business-wise, sports team, Podcast-wise, y'all have no idea, and that's all I got to say. But we got some guests coming up. The great, the wonderful former co-worker, a friend of mine, he's doing his own podcast video series or interview series, Brian McKeon. Follow him on Twitter, at underscore Brian McKeon. And my boy, my friend, my colleague, the great, at Robbie Rosenhaus, will be joining me next. So. Stick around. Trust me, you want to stick around. There's some drama that ensues. And I hope you guys like the new product that I'll be pushing out there. All right? Enjoy. We are rolling. What's up, Brian McKeon, host of Let's Talk? Uh, you just had a uh, great guest in John Kincaid, CBS Sports Radios, and Atlanta's John Kincaid. If I remember, it's 680, right? The call. Uh, 680 the fan. 680 in Atlanta. And we're joined by the always late Robbie Rosenhaus, who's now becoming a, a big-time contributor to the Ictagon. <laughs> What's up, Robbie? I was trying to make us all at the same time, 345. Can you get the connection there? Yes. No, I, I understand it. It's also 35 minutes before my favorite time of the day. But, again, we can do math. <laughs> we can do math off the air after this week's episode of the Ictagon. Oh, what's up, guys? And those of probably everybody doesn't know that we all met under the uh, the 345 umbrella, which is WFN and CBS Sports Radio Network. But uh, we're together again, man. This is uh, this is a nice little reunion. Glad to be here. 
absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. So McKeon, how's it going with the Let's Talk podcast? You just did your first episode. Are you more bougier and arrogant now that you've talked to John Kincaid? Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My ego is completely out of control at this point. <laughs> um, it's, it's amazing. Uh, this, interview, this interview series has been a, 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 an idea that I've had in my head for a while now to just be able to, I feel like we don't see this a lot in the sports radio world where you're a fan of sports radio and you don't know anything about the lives of these people, the, the hosts and where they've came from and how they've gotten to this point that they're at. And I feel like, you know, we hear all about all their sports opinions. We don't know anything about their lives. So I've had this vision for a while of I wanted to find out more about these guys' lives and find out what they're like behind the microphone. So I think that's where I'm going with this whole interview series. And there's going to be a lot more interviews to come after John Kincaid. Who's going to wow. be the next interview? Um, we're still reaching out to a bunch of different guests around the country and a bunch of different hosts, and we're going to see uh, who fits our next uh, profile yet. So we're not ready to announce that quite yet. And what's going on with you, Robbie? Are you uh, are you uh, still uh, traveling into the city to work for uh, your and mine's favorite politician, Michael Bloomberg, or former yes, politician? Yes, I'm I'm more interested to hear about who the next guest is on Mr. McKeon's show because uh, that's that's intriguing stuff. I I like his. Uh, 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 his premise there, but as as far as me, yeah, nothing has changed in the last week except we have more people that are not alive here in the state of New York. But again, this is not a COVID nineteen Icdagon. This is uh, for other stuff. But uh, no, nothing has changed, and, and you're the only like, one who didn't watch the freaking Last Dance, man. You're reading recaps. You're gonna binge on Sunday. McKean, we're talking. Uh, me and McKean, we're talking about this before you got on, man. You gotta watch this week to week. It's. Like, I, I was hearing about this, uh, Robbie. I gotta call you to the carpet here. How are you <laughs> the only person that hasn't watched this week by week? What else are you doing with your life at nine p.m. <laughs> on a Sunday, where you don't have time to turn the ESPN on and watch it? It's the only thing on television at that time. So I'm gonna give you. Uh, a little synopsis. You have a little bit of fake news there. So I have watched every week live on ESPN. It just so happened that this week I had a house full of people who wanted to watch a specific WWE pay-per-view, Money in the Bank, and um, <laughs> the doorbell's ringing. I'm not Are they coming to collect their uh, the pay-per-view fee? <laughs> Listen, this is re- this is real life stuff. Oh, hey, this how is, you guys uh, doing? This is live zooming. What's that? Hold on. Hey, guys, I got to go. Come back soon. Come back soon. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. the uh, Robbie never disappoints, man. Do you have I any guess so. Robbie Rosenhaus stories from uh, 345? Not as crazy as, as walking out in the middle of a show. I don't, I don't think I've had any of those stories. He's come on in the middle. He was doing, uh, I mean, he's most famous for being the huge freeze on the uh, Damon Amanda Lara show. And they had a whole segment where Robbie was supposed to be there at the 20 of the hour. And I think he got there at the, uh, the 50 and he was only on air for five minutes. Like they were doing the live play by play of what Robbie's going through and reading his text. So Robbie having in interview or in show uh, other circumstances on his mind is not unusual. If you're five minutes early, you're considered late. So that from, be, that's from the drum line, right? <laughs> you just always got to try and be on time. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Let's talk some real stuff, man. So this question popped up as soon as I saw what you were doing. Again, the Let's Talk. Is it a podcast? Is it a show? It's a, it's a video series. Um, yeah, it's not. It's, I mean, it, I guess it can be in podcast form, but we've chosen to release it as a video series. And I like how the uh, it's changed. Like Netflix now is considered TV and podcasts now are considered radio. And it's like, you got to because, I mean, especially podcasts are going live on YouTube or Zoom or wherever. It's like, it, it can be radio, man. What, what is it going to take? Like the Mike Francesa or the Jim Romes to just be solely on an app or a podcast for it to be considered radio? I think it is radio and I think Netflix is TV. It's crazy the way that the the world and the landscape of content has really changed over the years because you're really seeing that people tend people are now have the ability to watch their favorite show on the train on the way to work or listen to their favorite radio show on the train on the way to work. It's no longer appointment television. You don't have to be there at that certain time anymore. You can tune in whenever you want. So I, I think that that was what our goal was, trying to make it available to as many people as possible at whatever time of their convenience. But again, like that, that's what I was going for with this thing is is you want to see the behind the scenes of these people's lives, especially people like, you know, a John Kincaid or any of these hosts that we have around the country. These guys have very interesting lives and they've seen a lot, covered a lot of big stories in their careers. 
So I thought it was just something that we'd like to hear more of that we don't get to hear of on the radio side. 100%, man. And uh, a Robbie text comes in, but I'm not, uh, I'm not even going to feed into it. Maybe after this question or <laughs> during your answer, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. Uh, dude, a whole thing about like attention. I've done so many in-studio interviews with fighters, with personalities, with radio hosts. And uh, it drives, now, are you getting a message? <laughs> it drives me nuts, man, the attention span. I see somebody like looking around the room, unmuting the button like BT, uh, Brandon Tierney, the on and off, on and off. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if it's a radio thing, but our, our attention spans are very scattered. We're good listeners. We're excellent listeners. But it's like we, we don't maybe give the satisfaction to look it, like It must be something that's bred in that radio personality world, I guess. All right, yeah. short and sweet answer. But <laughs> did you find any uh, correlation, connection, maybe some mentorship by listening to the Al Dukes podcast? I don't know if he does it anymore, but he used to do a series where just interview radio personalities or people in the biz, like a Mark Chernoff, a Mark Mason, outside of the Scott Farrells, the Jerry Greco's, the Craig Cartons, the Damon Amanda Lars. And I, same thing, man. This is what I want to get with you. Maybe you could be uh, Al Dukes 2.0. Yeah, I've tried. I mean, I don't know if I hold the name of Al Dukes quite yet uh, in, in, in the field, but um, it, it's the same kind of concept that he went with that podcast. And I know that podcast kind of took off a little bit when he was getting stories out of these behind the scenes radio guys that you never heard before. And that weren't even necessarily be brought up on the radio. You know, like a guy like Craig Carton's brought, enters, opens his show up in the morning and he's talking about the Yankee game last night or the Met game or the biggest story in sports. He's not going to open it up talking about a time that he interviewed Donovan McNabb about when he threw up on the field at the Super Bowl. You know, like he, but he has that story still in his ingrained in his mind. That's what I want to get out of these guys. I want to get these crazy stories of when they've been on the field before games and, and when they've interviewed players and when they've, they've been at parties late at night and they've, they've seen athletes walk in. I want to get those kind of stories out of these guys that normally you don't hear. And another thing that I, that I found interesting, that I think you might be interested in finding out what these guys are like watching sports in their own house. Cause I think we, all of us crazy sports fans react different ways I know you've got the crazy guys that throw remotes to televisions, and then you got the guys that sit there in the in the silent panic and hoping that something good is going to happen. So that's what I'm very interested in finding out, like how these guys react to sports differently because there's a whole breed of sports fan that's different out there. Wow. And uh, that's amazing, man. I, I do want to find out more. I mean, how big are you going to go? Are you going to go all the way up to the Francesas and the Jim Romes? Like how, uh, how far do you want to go? And we'll we'll see if – if, if they're willing to come on and we can get out to them and, and, you know, depend, I'm depending, I mean, we're going to reach out to everyone that's possible that that would be interested in doing this. I mean, these are tough times we're living in obviously, and this gives people something, a chance to, to, to watch something, to be interested in something and to look forward to something week to week. So we're going to go for the biggest names in each city around the country and, you know, just move around and, and get, get to know these people a little better. And Brian, one of the guys that you're probably going to interview because of his talent and his prowess inside of the podcast and radio business is probably Ro uh, Robbie Rosenhaus, but let's hope it's from a studio, not from a jail cell because Robbie just sent a text about why he couldn't uh, continue the Ithagon episode. WWE pay-per-view money in the bank and um, <laughs> the doorbell's ringing. I'm not Are they coming to collect their, uh, the pay-per-view fee? <laughs> Listen, this is this is real life stuff. Oh, hey, this how is, you guys uh, doing? This is live zooming. What's that? Hold on, hey guys, I gotta go. The cops are at his front door. There's some type of dispute. He's gonna get on uh, into that and more next week on uh, next week's Ictagon. So, because of technical difficulties and the connection's not coming through, Brian. We're going to have to stop there. We'll continue the conversation. Again, that's Brian McKeon at underscore Brian McKeon on Twitter. The Let's Talk video series. He just interviewed the great, fantastic, fabulous John Kincaid. Awesome interview. Ton of insight. If you guys know who Al Dukes is, he's the WFAN morning producer. He's fantastic producer, an amazing on-air producer, and he had a uh, – podcast series which we were alluding to a couple of minutes ago which showcased Al interviewing some of radio's finest personalities and most entertaining and most brashest personalities which included Scott Farrell, Craig Carton, 
WFN program directing great Mark Chernoff. And it was a ton of insight. Like Brian was saying, it wasn't just about last night's game. It was about their thoughts uh, about the business and some interviews or some of their more poignant career stories. So a, a ton of insight from uh, the Al Dukes podcast. And he has stopped that podcast for whatever reason. But hopefully the young, the talented, the fantastic Brian McKean, again, at underscore Brian McKean, can pick off where Al left off. And I believe he will. He's wildly entertaining. Hopefully we have him on next, uh, next week. I know Brian is uh, he's low right now in the biz. And he said he'll be on next week. But who knows? Maybe in the future he'll big time us if we have some technical difficulties. But let's get to some drama with uh, Robbie Rosenhaus. He, he said that he couldn't answer the or continue the podcast because the cops answered his door. Well, here's the, the text that uh, I was going to read to Brian, but uh, <laughs> you're seeing it now. I don't need to explain much more. Robbie will explain everything and much more. We'll recap the last dance, hopefully with Brian and Robbie next week. And uh, we'll find out what this, uh, this story means uh, with the cops. But uh, Elvis show, uh, you recap for UFC 249 and uh, great time talking to some of my buds, Brian McKeon and at Robbie Rosenhouse on Twitter. So thank you guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in tonight. The UFC fights continue. Roll on. So more fights and more interviews from some of my buds. Some of them are in the business, some of them outside the business, but Let's, uh, let's keep the Iktagon rolling. And again, thank you, Believe Podcast Network, for scooping up the Iktagon and simulcasting it on your wonderful podcast network and website. So thank you, guys. And till next time. No, I'm not even going to say it. Later. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.